Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Every week I have a different guest. We talk about the whole range of different Catholic issues from art and architecture, literature, music, also apologetics. We have converts. We talk about different apostolates. We're based here in Greenville, South Carolina in the Bible Belt of the USA, but also a good place to be a Catholic. And one of the uh, well-known ministries in Catholic radio across the country over the last number of years is Steve Wood's Faith and Family Program. And Steve is based here in Greenville, South Carolina. Welcome to More Christianity. Thank you, Father. It's great to be here. Steve, you are a former Presbyterian pastor, and you've become a Catholic. Can you tell us why did you make such a decision? Well, I started initially as a uh, convert to Christianity within the Jesus movement in California, and I thought I had actually hit high church by the time I became an evangelical Presbyterian. But it was while I was a Presbyterian, particularly reading the early church fathers, and particularly the earliest of the early church fathers, known as the apostolic fathers, Mm -hmm. and in particular, there was one. In fact, I have my paperback here. It's a Penguin classic, just like a lot of the classics. You can pick this up at Barnes & Noble, and all of this stuff is now available online for free. But it was St. Ignatius, his Mm -hmm. seven epistles. And I was a Presbyterian, and in order to become a member in a Presbyterian church, you have to be able to spell that word. uh, What, Presbyterian or or Ignatius of Antioch? (laughs) No, if you can spell Presbyterian, (laughs) you're in. But it comes from a Greek word, presbyteros, meaning Mm -hmm. elder. And Presbyterians are called Presbyterians because their beliefs in elders as ruling the church, uh-huh. not bishops and not a hierarchy. And I was pretty comfortable with that because I came from an independent church background, which my experience very negative because it seemed to create a lot of divisions. Mm-hmm. The Presbyterians are rather civil towards each other, had a presbytery, which is a group of elders to mediate congregational squabbles right. and whatnot. So anyhow, I was very happy. <laughs> you know, it was a good group of men I ministered with. And and then, lo and behold, reading Ignatius, this was written by a man who was a martyr. So he was not some half apostate. He, uh-huh. he wrote in 107 AD, St. John had barely been in his grave uh, a decade. So this is the early, early church. Mm-hmm. And you open it, and it's bishop here, bishop there, bishop, 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 Loyalty to the bishop and belief in the real presence in the Eucharist are the two things that mark you as a genuine Christian. Otherwise, he said, you're outside. These aren't my words. These are his. Uh And I found this rather shocking. I was on a committee, the minister's committee, in a Presbyterian church. When you move, you are reexamined by a committee. Make sure you're still holding Presbyterian orthodoxy. And a famous Presbyterian theologian an author by the name of Dr. R.C. Sproul was moving to Orlando, and it was my responsibility to examine him on church government. Meanwhile, I was mm-hmm. reading this stuff, and I was a young minister, so it was like the ant, you know, examining the elephant. But, I mean, he was a very well-known, very highly regarded man. And the standard question is this, Dr. Sproul, do you accept a Presbyterian form of church government? And not to misrepresent him, he said twice— 
I accept the Presbyterian form of church government. And he repeated that. I do accept the Presbyterian form of church government. Mm -hmm. And then he said, but I wear my heart on my sleeve. I really don't understand why God waited 1,500 years to reveal the proper form of church government to his church. And all of a sudden, I don't know what went over my face, wow. but I knew immediately mm. what he was talking about. Because he's right. a very bright man. He, he has read these things. Yes. He realizes there was not Presbyterianism in the early church, which I was just mm -hmm. for the first time exploring. So that became an adventure. started reading a lot of the fathers and not just the first and second centuries right through basically the first millennium of the church. and That'll be an experience that a lot of us have yeah. shared. Uh, I was in the same background, uh, same situation. There I was, in, in my case, as an Anglican pastor uh, in England, and I was beginning to read Ignatius of Antioch and Irenaeus and all the others and had the same aha moment that you had that Blessed John Henry Newman had before us in reading these documents in depth and scratching our heads and saying, uh... These guys sound really Catholic. Where are the Protestants back then? We were taught that the Protestants, of course, went right back to the early church. And, exactly. But there wasn't any evidence for it. I know. I know. It is really a misconception to think you can read the Bible apart from the men like St. Ignatius may have known St. John himself. Mm -hmm. The man who collected his seven letters, which you can get and read tonight before you go to bed. Well, Ignatius, Ignatius was friends with Polycarp, well, who, Polycarp was, who was instructed by John. Exactly. Okay. And so if you want to know, like St. Ignatius says, John 6, the, the Eucharist is about the real presence of Christ. And this is a mark of a genuine Christian. And the man who was taught by St. John collected this writing for the church. So this was really shocking stuff. And uh, to me... The, the biggest problem is this. It's very simple in a way. You know, if you would spend 20, 30 hours, depending how deep your anti-Catholicism is, mine was mm -hmm. rather deep, but in the Church Fathers. But even with that, becoming a Catholic was unthinkable. That the Catholic Church could be true was unthinkable. So if you don't even think of something, right. but after a while it starts piling up. It, and, it, uh, it required what they call a paradigm shift, doesn't, doesn't it? A where, big one. A big, a big a paradigm big shift where everything you thought was firm and secure and true, suddenly it gets a bit shaky yeah. and you're looking at everything yeah. differently. You know, you mentioned Ignatius of Antioch. And my guest today is Steve Wood, uh, the host of uh, Faith and Family uh, Radio Show and the director of the Family Life Center here in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, Steve, the other link with the apostles, of course, with Ignatius of Antioch is the city of Antioch. Because we know from the Acts of the Apostles that Peter himself went to evangelize in Antioch. In Antioch, the Christians were first called Christians. And therefore, there's also the direct link with the apostolic teaching of Peter in the city of Antioch. So Ignatius, who's writing probably just about 60 or 70 years after the death of Peter, is still firmly linked in with the apostolic teaching which had gone on in Antioch. This is first generation. Yes. First generation. And is also the place where the first worldwide mission of the church took place out of Antioch. But the other thing, too, is that, you know, there's a lot of stereotype of very worldly, uh, carnal-minded bishops and, and such in the church. Ignatius was on his way to the lions. Right. And he says, you know, don't hinder me. I am going to confess Christ at the point of my life. So this is the real deal here, this guy. And it's interesting, you know, John Calvin is kind of, his institutes are kind of the Bible for Reformed Christians sure. and Presbyterians mm -hmm. and such. And Calvin has a challenge in the beginning of his institutes. 
He said, I challenge you to compare what I'm teaching here in the Institutes with the earliest of the fathers hmm. and compare the Catholic teaching. You'll see we win the day. Except Calvin made one huge mistake hmm. that all scholars made in his day, and it's this, that there were seven genuine and seven spurious epistles of Ignatius going around in the days of the Reformation. Right. All the theologians tossed the baby out with the bathwater. But ever since Lightfoot in the 19th century, Ignatius, the seven epistles, are regarded by every knowledgeable scholar in the world to be genuine. So if you put Ignatius back into Calvin's challenge, huh. he loses terribly. And so it's a relatively modern biblical and historical scholarship, which has unlocked some of these mm -hmm. uh, early church fathers for us and allowed us to understand what the early church was really like, what early Christians really believed, how the very first Christians actually worshipped. And the more you study this, the more you explore Absolutely. it, the more you're brought back to the Catholic Church. There's a, that other detail too, isn't there, in Ignatius in his epistle to the Romans, where he says that uh, he recognizes the Roman Church has the place of honor among all churches. Mm -hmm. I read that, and that just that one little line, I'm thinking, well, he didn't say that about the other churches. Uh, and there he is on his way to Rome for, for martyrdom, and he recognizes that Rome is, even then, has a sense of uh, predominance. Like mm -hmm. Clement of Rome, who's writing about 30 years before Ignatius, who also is the Bishop of Rome and is, in his letter, claiming authority over the church in Corinth. So there is this universal jurisdiction, a ju universal ju yes. jurisdiction of the mm -hmm. Roman church even right. then. You're listening to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. Today, I'm honored to have Steve Wood as my guest. He's a friend and neighbor here in Greenville, South Carolina, also the host of Faith and Family uh, radio show. So, Steve, you're a Presbyterian pastor, and you decided to become Catholic. Now, what on earth did your congregation and your friends and family think of that? Oh, my. Well... You know, here I was on, first of all, my Presbytery Committee, Minister's Work Committee, mm -hmm. and uh, the very committee had to meet with me, uh, becoming a Catholic. And it was sad for me, but, you know, I was excommunicated for mm -hmm. becoming a Catholic, and um, it did bother me. Sure. And there's all kinds of feelings that got stirred up. But then on the other hand, I could see myself just 36 months before <laughs> just excommunicating anybody else doing what I had just did, and I need to remember that. Right. The family, they just didn't quite know what to make of it. My becoming a minister was quite a shock because earlier in my life I was had a spell of being the prodigal son. So mm -hmm. I guess this was just another surprise <laughs> following my Christian conversion. And when you be, left your Presbyterian ministry mm -hmm. to become a Catholic, did you have any any means to fall back on? Did you have any other career opportunities, any job to go to? I was involved in leading a statewide pro-life organization, which wasn't very financially viable uh, at the time. But I was basically given by my session of elders about six weeks before I terminated on January 1st, 1990. And uh, kind of the couple that I was involved in Operation Rescue, and I had a jail <laughs> sentence on top of that, that was staring me down later that month. I went to jail on the anniversary of Roe versus Wade that year. So I began the year with a 
period of prayer and fasting and pure panic. I w- wish I could say I was a man of great faith and confidence. And trust. So this is amazing. You leave your Presbyterian yeah. pastor. Yeah, you're, you're married, are you? With wife, yes. How many kids? By probably this about five kids. About that wife time, and five yeah. kids. You mm-hmm. leave your only source of livelihood. You step out of the boat and walk on the waves mm-hmm. with the Lord, and and you're also facing a jail sentence. I know it wasn't a really great start, was it? No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, we did sell our home. There was a priest that I knew just south of us who uh, I was involved with in uh-huh. pro-life work, so we knew each other. He had heard of what I'd done, and so we sold our home, kind of took the interest on that, and uh, he provided a home for us, which was a former convent, which mm-hmm. was simply a small home, which we later found out had the name of Mary, Queen of the Woods. Queen of the oh, and yes. <laughs> No, I've got Somebody it. No, had a plan. <laughs> the, wood, the Woods family. There yeah. was a little bit of God into yeah. God in, yeah. incidents so, there. You know, yes, it was very challenging. Okay. And a pro-life man felt one night I had just met him, and within hours he felt God had spoken to him that mm-hmm. he was supposed to finance my way to Rome to meet with John Paul II. And hmm. Honestly, we weren't doing drugs at dinner or anything else. I thought, what is this? Right. And lo and behold, a year later, I was on an airplane with a ticket from this man to go to a pro-life summit in the Vatican, met the Holy Father, and it was there he spoke that uh, you have to bring the basically bring the world back to God, re-evangelize the world mm-hmm. in order to correct the abortion problem because it's basically a departure from the author of life. Right. So and, in other words, attacking the the abortion head on, it's only going to get you so far. Yeah. You have to we need to bring we, people back to God. Right. So bring them back to the way, the truth, and the life. And that's that's the real pro life message. Which in a way I found very depressing because mm-hmm. I thought, you know, pro life is hard, evangelism is hard. But then he came with the means to do that. He said that the family was the way to bring the modern world back to God because every human being is desirous of love in the deepest parts of his or her person, and the family is where that love is born and nurtured and carried on and passed on. So John Paul II himself said that to you? Yeah. Well, no, to the pro-life audience. This is the way you end abortion. But he said it to me. Right. I heard because I was saying everybody else belonged there. I didn't. (laughs) I mean, this was – I was like a – I don't know what, but I felt that I was supposed to listen very, very carefully. And I I had been a church planter, so I wasn't really eager to go out and start organizations because you kind of get it out of your system after you've been a church planter. But in any case, I um, thought about it for a year and went to a Catholic conference. Mm-hmm. I needed $500 to open a bank account for the Family Life Center. I put a shoebox out, really lowballed it because I wanted to make sure whatever. But I got $507, and we launched a Family Life Center. And since gone around, made contacts with folks in about 100 countries around the world, much to my utter astonishment. So the Family Life Center is really inspired by the words of Blessed John Paul II. Absolutely. That Absolutely. the pro-life cause is one through evangelism and one right. through the family, right? which is a goes right to the heart of the matter. It's right where the church is today. Exactly. And there are so many problems in our society, so many problems in our church. So many people I find also, I'm sure you'd agree with me, Steve, so many well-meaning people who are trying to throw money at the problems. They're trying to throw good ideas at the problems. They're trying to throw new catechetical you know, solutions and new books and new videos and all these other things producing all this great stuff to try to address the problems. But the root problem is the one you've just said. It's the root problem of Every human being has this desire for love, which he finds fulfilled within the family and, of course, ultimately fulfilled in his his encounter with Christ. Absolutely. And 
God's sent every person into this world with the desire for that reunion. It's like the old E.T. movie, Phone Home. They have to kind of connect, but it's not just E.T. It's with our Heavenly Father. We have to connect or we go haywire. I have a little catchphrase I sometimes use in a a homily or in in a talk. I'm saying, you know, every single person out there, first of all, I know what your problem is. And I have the solution. And their ears perk up like, wow, who is this guy? (laughs) And, of course, the problem is not enough love. That's right. Or the wrong kind of love or a twisted love. And the solution is the encounter with Christ, who Mm -hmm. who is love. It's it's the encounter with the divine mercy. So you've started this ministry, Family Life Center. What was the initial aim? Was it to start a radio show or were you just trying to distribute literature or go out and be an evangelist? I mean, what was the initial aim? There were three of us from my seminary that all had converted within a few years, Mm -hmm. and I was asked to come to this Catholic conference, rather small conference. Excuse me. When you say your seminary, you mean your Presbyterian seminary? Correct. Okay. Correct. And um, I was asked to give about four talks on why I became a Catholic, and one of those four were – I had come to embrace Catholic teaching on the indissolubility of marriage and even, believe it or not, pretty much convinced on the birth control issue before Mm -hmm. I became a Catholic, because as a youth pastor, I saw that without a stable marriage, it was so hard for kids to find their internal gyroscope, so to speak, in life. And so I always had this emphasis on marriage, and I said how I believe that the Catholic Church provided the only foundation upon which the modern family could be planted, that it's not going to be blown away by modern winds. So I went home. And, uh, (laughs) you know, wondered what was next. But I started getting invitations to speak on family life. In other words, Uh I gave four talks, but I guess not a whole lot of people were speaking on family issues in the circle, Catholic circles at that time. So after flying around the country and getting some letters and such, I just felt that I really couldn't walk away from it. So we just basically started. There was no Internet, if I remember at the time basically going to conferences. I had been involved in radio as a Protestant. We mm-hmm. we had a satellite broadcast that unified the state of Florida for some judicial elections as well as for the life chain. And so I, as Catholic radio was starting, I would encourage it because I said, this is the only way we're going to get our message out because uh-huh. I've dealt a lot with the media and or tried to deal with them in pro-life. You can't get your message across. Yes. You either make you a fool or they just don't put, put So it you on. moved on from the speaking engagements, talking about the family, to mm-hmm. then realizing that you needed a radio show. Yep. Uh, and that then went on to be one of the uh, most long-running and popular programs on EWTN. Is that correct? 14 years we went. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, reaching out to tens of thousands of people all over the world through that ministry. Yes. I also did some TV series on fatherhood for EWTN. And um, of course, that goes everywhere these days. And the radio goes everywhere. And we developed websites. uh, But the radio particularly has very much been a heart of what we've been doing. And also hope to resurrect it here. uh, Coming this fall, September 1st, we're going to bring Faith and Family back in a little different format little tighter, a little shorter. Mm-hmm. Uh, my passion is particularly for families with children still in the home. Right. And with the busyness today and everything, everybody knows about this, a little shorter show, uh, very much to the point, kind of packed for them. So Steve Wood is going to come back with a new format on Faith and Family Program. And also, I think, trying to reach out to other technologies for actually 
broadcasting and getting the message yes. out there because I think not only they're available through podcasts, but podcasts through smartphones and, and computers and all sorts of things. So you're going to be taking advantage of all those technologies. Right. Catholic Radio will be probably on the smartphone. I, I know um, – Right here, the owner of this station listens to his station on his smartphone, even though he can turn on his car radio. And also, we need to think that the Catholic Church is not just in the United States. Sometimes we tend to get a little too bit uh, Mm -hmm. centric upon ourselves, but there's, you know, millions of people in Africa who have already adopted smartphones and China. They're learning English and they're buying phones to the point that the government had to shut down the Apple store when the iPhone went on sale in India. So, I mean, there's tens of millions of people who are developing this technology, and we're also kind of updating our website. We hope to have that also launched by Labor Day so that if you come to our website on a smartphone, a tablet, or a computer, no matter what device it is, it'll recognize it immediately. And And adapt. Yeah, you can actually read whatever you're trying. Right now, it will not work, but by Labor Day, we hope to have that and integrate it with the radio show and the website because that's basically how people in the world buy the – Again, tens of millions are getting their information. Steve, you're coming to the Catholic Church like I did from an evangelical background. The Lord has given you this wonderful ministry of touching people's hearts through the need for family life to be developed and therefore to to understand really what love is all about and, and therefore have access to the love of God. It's all connected. As a Catholic and as a convert now, you, you've been in the church since 1990, you said. Mm-hmm. So you're pretty seasoned. What are the problems that you actually see in your experience of Catholicism? Because some people say the Catholic Church in the United States is sleeping beauty. You know, it's there's mm-hmm. there's so much potential, so much latent power, so much um, possibilities for proclaiming the gospel, and yet we're not taking the full advantage of this. What, what do you think is, is the solution? I would really like to see more of a marriage between some of the evangelical emphasis on that strong personal faith attachment to Christ with a, a deeply held and believed sacramental life, and those brought together, I think it's the work of the devil to begin with, to separate everything, because right. there are remnants of good everywhere, but being separated, yeah, you have a slice, but you don't have the pie. And to me, what really would bring you know the heart and the head and the personal attachment to Christ, that's what I know an evangelical, much more than being able to spout a bunch of Bible verses, which both sides can do now endlessly, they want to know, do you love Jesus Christ? That's the very first thing they're going to want to know. Exactly. And that, that along with two, two elements in my evangelical upbringing, I consider to be the cornerstones of my Christian faith today. And one of those is what you've just said, having that personal encounter with Jesus Christ, do you love Jesus or not? Mm -hmm. And being able to ask that question without being embarrassed Mm -hmm. is important. The second was we were brought up, as I'm sure you were, with the idea that if you did did love Jesus Christ, you were a missionary. You were 100%. You'd left your nets and you'd followed him. And that's what your life was all about. There was this sense of the universal vocation of following Jesus Christ completely. Those two elements seem to me to be the the, the heart of it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do you get that into the hearts and minds of the person in the pew, not only in the Catholic Church, but mm-hmm. in other churches too, where they really consider their Christianity to be, uh, you know, a list of rules and regulations to be obeyed and, and an hour of, of duty that you give to God on a Sunday if you've got the time free? Well, that 
does have to be overcome. And I just like to emphasize to parents because this is this is my theme. I even know what what I'm going to be talking about when I come out of the blocks on Labor Day for the new mm-hmm. faith and family. It's it's this has to be passed on to children if you want the faith to survive in the modern world. Right. Just being able to give a couple of detached, abstract catechism answers, and I'm not saying don't memorize a catechism. I'm saying do it. But there has to be a personal attachment to it, a lived faith. I would say one of the best ways to do it, what we are doing right here. That's why I'm why I am right here. I don't want to waste my life. And I believe that through the medium of Catholic radio, I've seen this also with conferences. I've been a Catholic for just a little over twenty years. There's a significant change that has taken place. The fire has been kindled. People might start with apologetics or something, but all of a sudden just simply discover their faith mm-hmm. and find Christ encountering him in the sacraments and in the life of their church and the liturgy. So I think this is the medium, and it's the most personal medium, according to John Paul II, closest to Christ in a transom of a boat on the Sea of Galilee preaching. This is the closest thing to it. So I'd say um, send a few bucks to your Catholic radio station, support the ministries doing it. I mean, I've gone to the Evangelical National Religious Broadcasters Conventions, and they have the statistics of different parts of the world adopting these smartphones and everything. They're never going to own a computer, but they'll have one in their pocket through their smartphone. This technology, St. Paul would give both arms for, not his right arm, mm-hmm. both. Uh, this is this is a, a good medium. And a lot of times we want, what, whatever can we do? And you talked about books and things, but when people come and share their heart, tell their story, connect it to the faith— Somebody's listening right now that might be either a Catholic thing. What these guys sound like? They actually believe what they're talking about. Or a Presbyterian might be driving around and well, maybe I ought to download Ignatius and read it tonight and see what it says. This is the way the, the I think people are awakened through the power of the Holy Spirit coming through these microphones and trusting God for the result. Exactly. And people say, well, I hear you talk about the encounter with Christ. I hear you talking about meeting Jesus Christ or friendship with Christ or loving Jesus, all this kind of terminology. And I think a lot of kind of Catholics and and Christians who are spectators, regarded as a spectator sport, our society is so entertainment-oriented that Mm -hmm. they kind of go to church and sit in the pew. It's kind of like going to the movies. You sit there and watch what's going on. Really, it's about not just hearing Jesus Christ and hearing the message, but hearing that the message is, leave your nets and follow me, as I've said, and being reminded that at the core of the New Testament is actually the book called the Acts of the Apostles. And it's not called the teachings of the apostles. It's not called the theology of the apostles. It's not called the reflections, the, the of, reflections the of the apostles mm-hmm. or the right. ho- even the homilies and the sermons of the apostles. <laughs> it's called the acts of the apostles. And that the encounter with Christ means getting up and following him, doing something, being involved where you can be involved. Mm-hmm. If it means getting involved in your local Catholic radio station, getting involved in your local parish, getting involved and following him, remembering also that as you follow him, he's always going to be out a little bit further in the front. He, mm-hmm. he walks real fast, you know, mm-hmm. and you you got to run to catch up. Absolutely. You're listening to More Christianity. My guest today has been Steve Wood. And Steve, thank you for joining us here. Thank you for taking the step to become a Catholic over 20 years ago. It's my privilege. And thank you for uh, stepping out of the boat, following Jesus Christ, and setting such a great example for so many of us who've eventually followed in your footsteps and been influenced by your ministry. Thank you for listening. This is Father Dwight Longenecker, and you've been listening to More Christianity. <laughs> 